0: Hi, this is Steve. As most of you know, our goal with the cinephiles has always been to cover films from every era and genre. And while we had thought we had chosen a pretty wide variety of films this year, it was recently brought to our attention that it's been a long time since we did a movie from before the 70s. Now that's a big mistake, and one we intend to rectify with the 1949 noir classic Carol Reed's The Third Man, starring Joseph Cotton and the great Orson Welles. Now, I've seen this movie many times, but it's been at least 10 years since the last time I watched, and I have to admit to being absolutely blown away with just how complex, Thrilling and utterly compelling, it still is. This is a masterclass in filmmaking, and it also happens to have one of the greatest twists in movie history. So, if you don't want us to spoil it for you, you should travel down the shadowy alleyways of the internet to Cinephiles.net, where you can buy or stream The Third Man along with every other movie we've ever reviewed. Then come back on Friday to hear John and I enter the world of post war Vienna and try to unlock the mystery of The Third Man. Hello and welcome to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I am a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, uh, host, writer, and producer over at Collider and Collider.com recently. You can read some of the stuff I've written there. Um, fresh off the boat from Australia. That's right. To record this uh, episode of The Cinephiles, and I can't get that song out of my
0: damn head. Well, it plays over and over and over again. And, of course, the movie we're talking about is the 70th anniversary of Carol Reed's The Third Man, starring Joseph Cotton and Orson Welles. Yeah. We have, we have not spent... Nearly enough time back in the classics. Yes, this year and and certainly we want to remedy that. Um, and uh, you know what surprised me by the way? What's that? This is not a Patreon pick. Oh. I was certain that someone would have picked this one, and they didn't. Yeah. Um, you know, we've done a ton of Patreon picks we lately, have. but uh, this one is not. This one just is because it's the 70th anniversary, and it's one of my favorite films. Mm-hmm. And I get this energy that it might not be one of yours, which is going to be real interesting. It's one of these films that I
1: absolutely struggle with why I don't love it as much as other people do, because I really love Orson Welles. I know you do. I really love Joseph Cotton. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, it's a memorable film. Certainly two incredible scenes between Cotton and Welles in this movie. The noir aspect of it all, the uh, post-World War II Vienna All of this stuff would normally appeal to me. Even a young Trevor Howard is fantastic to watch. Uh, But for some reason, it doesn't 100% get into the I love this movie kind of place. It's more like I can watch this movie and appreciate this movie. I just don't
0: love this movie. One might say something that I've said many times. It's not your movie. It's not my movie. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and that is it. You know, that being a cinephile is not a objective thing. It's no. a subjective thing.
1: Well, to you, it's Michelangelo. To me, it's a cuckoo clock.
0: <laughs> I think that's a
1: great <laughs> way to put that. it.
0: Wow. You think? Oh, by the way, cuckoo clocks are cool. Yeah. They can be some pretty neat I can, things. I can appreciate a cuckoo yeah. clock. Um, one of the things is I was doing research. Apparently, there's definite pushback against Orson for that line. because oh, I'm sure. Because the Swiss are like, first of all, we didn't invent the cuckoo clock. It's German. <laughs> Second of all, they're like, at the time of the Borgias, we're way ahead of the movie. We'll get to this quote later. Yeah. The Swiss army was feared throughout the world they were they were a big powerful army you could say they fought with precision halo yeah. oh clock like hello um so um uh well, let me ask you, though how, how did you uh how'd you come to the third man
1: well you know i've told you before and uh, the cinephiles fans know this as well I go through these periods when I have to catch up and watch movies that I haven't seen before. This was certainly one of those that I watched maybe in the early 2000s for the first time on TCM uh, because I hadn't seen The Third Man and I'd heard about The Third Man and uh, and I had to watch it. And so I just remember, uh, you know, setting my old school TiVo to record this thing and I sat and watched it on a Saturday afternoon and I just did, you know, like I said, I just watched it and I enjoyed it. I loved the scenes with Wells um but overall the movie left me feeling a little flat
0: um but um yeah well it's a weird movie it is its tone is weird the ending is weird there's like the the structure of good and evil and what we're supposed to want is weird and it's it's kind of hard it's it's definitely the you know into the labyrinth of this weird maze of what's real and what's not yeah um well, and one last there's, and we'll talk about it as we go along, Steve.
1: But there's a lot I discovered as I watched the film this time that I find will be interesting,
0: possibly for us to discuss as we go along. We'll see. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Me too. I'm going to predict for our cinephile fans out there that it will be interesting. I hope so, because that is why they're here, and that is our job. Fair enough. Um. So uh, for me, I watched it right at that moment that I was becoming a cinephile, which is mm-hmm. you know college, and I had watched Citizen Kane, and I had gone oh, this is really interesting. And it's right when I started to do just what you described, which is going, I need some more of this. Yeah. And I looked up Orson Welles and heard there was this movie, The Third Man, and I rented it on VHS. And I really liked it. And just as you said, I loved the scenes with Orson Welles. And then some of it left me kind of flat. And I've mm-hmm. watched it many times since then. Um, it's definitely a film that was taught and discussed in film school, particularly when it comes to lighting mm. and camera work and and, and story structure. And, uh, and then I watched it Uh, probably every few years, but I don't think I had watched it in a decade when I watched it a few nights ago. It really blew me away a few nights. I loved it. So like my love for this film, I've always liked it and it went up and up and up and then this last time watching, I was like, man, this is a really tight movie. Hmm. And so it's interesting, you know how you said many, many times on the show how different things hit you at different times in different ways and this one for whatever reason got me this time more than it ever has. Cool. Um, I'll do a little bit of pre-production. The main person I want to talk about at pre-production is not Carol Reed, the director. Mm-hmm. It's not David O. Selznick, the producer, although they're important people. Certainly Selznick, one of the most important producers of all time. Yeah. Carol Reed was on a real run. He had had, um, I think, Odd Men out, and I forget the other one, that, that were big, huge successes. Mm-hmm. He was a much bigger director than Orson Welles at this point, because this is when Wells is out. Yes. The person I want to talk about is Graham Greene. Oh, the writer. Yeah, so Graham Greene is a is a novelist and he is just a fascinating dude. Um and uh he he wrote uh things like Our Man in Havana, The Quiet American, The mm-hmm. Human Factor. He wrote a, a, one of the most important novels some of the most important novels of the 20th century, some of the most important British novels. He was shortlisted for the Nobel Prize for Literature, although he didn't win it, mm. won all sorts of awards, and he is a fascinating dude. Um, he, he he In the 30s, he was writing movie uh, reviews, mm. and he wrote a review of Wee Willy Winky, starring Shirley Temple, and he talked about her sexuality in this review. Wow. He said something like that Shirley Temple displayed a dubious coquetry, which appealed to middle-aged men and clergymen. Ooh. Fox, who distributed that film, sued him. Wow. He fled to Mexico to avoid the suit. And it was in Mexico that he really sort of became the writer he was going to become. Wow. Yeah. And in World War II, he was recruited into MI6. He was a spy. This is our third British author spy oh. that we have discussed on The Cinephiles. Right. Ian Fleming being one Ian of them? Fleming. Yes. And Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl, right. Yeah. Okay. So he was in MI6 <laughs> and, and and traveled all over the world, even after World War II. And it might very well be that he was traveling as research, as a writer, hmm but also doing some other work. He was in Haiti when Baby Doc Duvalier took over. He was in What? Africa when like he was in all of these interesting places. Wow. And he also um he he helped uh Castro's revolution in Cuba. Wow. And then later on kind of regretted it. He he said uh, after after the revolution happened and then Castro was in charge, he wrote, I admire for, him, for his courage and efficiency, but I question his authoritarianism. Mm. And then he added, all successful revolutions, however idealistic, probably betray themselves in time, mm. which is a pretty, pretty savvy <laughs> thing to say.
1: Yeah, history certainly proves that point. Over and, and, over again. and the
0: thing that he wrote about over and over again, I don't know if you've read any of his books, mm. but is about the gray areas of morality and faith. He was Catholic, but then also questioned his Catholicism. Mm -hmm. He loved dealing in this right the middle where it's an impossible choice to make. And if you look at the quiet American or a man in Havana or the third man, there's always these choices that are sort of, well, what are we, what's right? What do we, what do we do here? And, and, and and I think even more important, why are we doing what we're doing? Mm -hmm. Like when we look at Holly Martins, the character in the third man, he is making choices but what are the reasons that he is doing them? Right. Is it for morality? Is it for the girl? Is it for Harry Lime? Like, why is he doing what he's doing? Yeah. Um, and the idea came, to, I believe, started with Graham Greene when he was in Vienna, and two things happened. One, someone told him about the racketeering after the war, um, in particular in terms of penicillin, and the other is someone gave him a little tour of the, Aust- of the Vienna sewer system. Ah. That's where the idea came from. And when he went to write... David O. Selznick hired him to write the script Yeah, and you know what he did to sit down and write the script? Wrote a novella.
1: Oh He yeah. wrote this
0: as a novel first right. to tell him all the backstory and everything he needed to know to write the movie. Hmm. There's another movie where this happened as well, which is 2001, a space odyssey. Right. Arthur C. C. Clarke went yeah. to write the novel at the same time that he's writing the screenplay. Yeah. Um, so he wrote the novella and then, uh, and then Carol Reed was hired, and they worked together on, on making the screenplay. And, and the big question was, who are you going to cast? And neither Orson Welles nor Joseph Cotton were their first choices. I don't know who the first choices were for Cotton, but I know what the first choice for Orson's part was Cary Grant. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a whole other movie. A whole other movie. Right? Yeah. I, I, there's, I can't imagine anyone other than Joseph Cotton and Orson Welles. And yeah, Cotton. yeah. Um, and that's really all my pre-production. Okay. Would you like to get into this film? Let's do this thing. I ain't got a lot to say. Can you-, you hear the zither music? <laughs> yes, I can. For God's sake. <laughs> that credit sequence to watching a close-up of the zither is so unlike anything else in film at yeah. this point. Nineteen forty-nine is totally different, and zither music is the entire score for the film. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's Anton Karras is the player and. Uh, Carol Reed, the director, heard him, they were in Vienna shooting, he heard him playing at a party and went, I oh, like wow. this, and and recorded him in like a hotel room in Vienna, and that was the temp score, and then they brought him over and they finally decided, yeah, this is going to be the whole score, Wow. the zither.
1: <laughs>
0: Did it win an Oscar or
1: anything, the song?
0: No, it okay. didn't, it didn't, but the theme from The Third Man yes. was the number one international piece of music in 1950. Wow. Yeah. This was a huge hit for Anton Karras. It's an earworm of a song. <laughs> it re- well because it repeats so yes. much throughout the movie. That's what I'm saying.
1: It kind of gets a little irritating at times.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it every time it do comes you? on. Really? I totally do. Oh. Yeah. There's something. It's a really weird choice because it's not dark or heavy. Yeah. There's something kind of fun about it and nostalgic and European and it's certainly a lightful, a playful smirk. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You a song. I think that's what it is. Um, and after our, our credit sequence, um, we're watching sort of scenes of post-World War II Vienna, which are shocking in terms of mm-hmm. what Europe looked like at that time. And we hear a voiceover, which is actually Carol Reed, the director, yeah, talking about old Vienna.
2: I never knew the old Vienna before the war with its Strauss music, its glamour and easy charm. Constantinople suited me better.
3: I really got to know it in the classic period of the black market. We'd run anything if people wanted it enough and had the money to pay.
0: Apparently, when it was released in the US, Selznick didn't like Carol Reed's voice, right. so they did Joseph Cotton as the narrator, Right, which I've never heard. I've never heard what that sounds like, or maybe I did a long time ago. And what we hear is that after the war, there was a big uh, period of time where there was the black market, and we see images of people selling all sorts of stuff, watches and cigarettes and tires mm-hmm. and all sorts of things, and then we cut to a dead body in, in the water, and we hear of
2: course a situation like that does tempt amateurs but well, they you know they can't stay the course like a professional
0: we hear a little bit more that there's four groups that are running this place which is the british the russians the french and the americans yep. they each have their own sectors none of them speak each other's languages they try to meet in the center and arrange things for how things are going to go in vienna but it doesn't seem to work very well and yep. and you get the sense of people trying to survive in this place after the war and it's interesting too because most of hollywood didn't really want to show dark pictures of what world war ii really was they wanted to celebrate it as a great war Mm -hmm. and didn't want to look at this and there are a few movies that do
1: yeah nuremberg certainly does judgment of nuremberg the ramifications of the war the the dilapidated buildings the concrete the broken uh slabs of of concrete that's a great point here's where i would like to start this situation Okay, Do you know the rumors have abounded? Is that right? About though? Wells? About Wells directing this film, not really Carol Reed. There was a lot of rumors that Wells directed this film and Carol Reed didn't. Um, kind of a Tobe Hooper, Steven Spielberg situation when looking at Poltergeist. And there are a lot of patterns in this movie that are very reminiscent of Citizen Kane. For example, the opening sequence was essential, is essentially a newsreel. And it's because it's a montage with exposition, yeah, exactly. So it feels just like a newsreel as we get into the situation. Uh, and I found there's just like little beats throughout the movie that kind of make me think because I've never known which way to fall on this, right? Because I feel like a director's credited, they're the director. Just having Wells on the set doesn't mean Wells directed the film, but then again, he's not really in the film that much. So, was he on set essentially guiding? Uh, carol reed in his direction of this film and this noir because a lot of the shots that we see in the
0: film as well are very reminiscent of kane uh in my opinion so so here everything i have read says that that's not true right yeah yeah, that the rumors that the rumor definitely exists and the biggest piece of evidence that i didn't know about is they couldn't even find wells to shoot with him (laughs) They had to use stand-ins for him or shoot other stuff because Absolutely. he kept not showing up. Yeah, that's so fun. the so the idea that the guy who's not showing up is also directing the film does not make sense? But yeah. I think Carol Reed watched Citizen Kane. Yes, because I do. I agree with you. There are shots, um, some of the uses of Dutch angles, yes. some of the the low angle shots, yep. some of the lighting, the lighting definitely. you know definitely has some of those aspects of Kane. Mm-hmm. And I, I so it wouldn't surprise me, and obviously. Kill Reed liked Orson Welles enough to want to cast him at a time where Orson was not that popular by 49. By 49, he had burned most of his bridges, probably with behavior like not showing up when he's supposed to shoot. Exactly, Um, And he didn't really want to do it. I think he needed the money. I mean, this is the time when we're going right into when he's doing Macbeth. I think Othello starts in the next year or two, you know, where he's just scrambling everywhere he can to make enough money to you know, to make his own film. i would like to be so talented that people want to hire you and you're going to
1: do it just for money. <laughs> Other people are desperate to be in films. He is so talented that he's only doing it just for the money. Like he's a freelancer. It's right. mind
0: blowing. I mean, even with all his terrible behavior. Yeah. Well, that's the one, that's what I thought you were going to ask. Yeah. People want to, you're so talented that people want to hire you, even though you have terrible behavior. Him and Brando are the two I always think about yeah. when it comes to this kind of stuff. Yeah, And I always wonder, would I hire them? And I don't know. I'd hire Orson and heartbeat. Can you imagine trying to direct Orson Welles? I would. I would absolutely get in his face day one. I think
1: <laughs> you have to. Yeah, it's prison rules with Orson. Yeah, with Brando, there's no point. No, he's going to do whatever. He's, he's going to do whatever do. the hell he wants. With Orson, I think you can break through and. Do prison rules? I'll tell
0: you. I, I think you have much more of a Brando thing than me. I I, I, oh. I, I, don't. I admire him as an actor. Yeah. But he, the shit that he pulls, it like I have no. Like him as a person, oh. Orson Welles, I find fascinating as a person because right. he's so brilliant and articulate and interesting. Brando, I don't. I wouldn't want to hang out with so much. <laughs> That's fair. Um. Anyway. Oh,
2: I was going to tell you. Wait, I was going to tell you about Harley Martins, an American, came all the way here to visit a friend of his. The name was Lime Harry Lime. Now, Martin's was broke, and Lyme had offered him some sort I don't know, some sort of a job. Anyway, there he was, poor chap. Happy as a lark and without a cent.
0: And we see a train coming in, and there's that zither music as Joseph Cotton gets out of the train. I love Joseph Cotton. Yeah. You, if you can thank Orson Welles for anything, you can thank
1: Orson Welles for introducing us to Joseph Cotton. Yeah. As an actor. Yeah. Um, the thing is also, though, Steve, what struck me, again, these are the weird things that happened as I was watching the movie. This struck me like... This is Leland. Oh, totally. And Charles Foster Kane, like this side story about their relationship when they were at school somewhere. And Leland is like showing up, is like, hey, Charles said I got a job here. So I'm showing up to be here to work this job. No money.
0: Remember, because they say in the Kane how Leland wasn't from means and was. He was a family that that had money. And then one day the guy kills himself and he ends up, he has nothing. Nothing but
1: debts. Yeah, nothing but debts.
0: Right. Right. I, I think the casting of Cotton and Wells is absolutely brilliant for exactly this reason. Yeah. Which is that they have we those of you of people who've seen Citizen Kane, which wasn't the hugest movie at the time, True. but still a lot of people saw it, have built in that's this who they think of as yeah. as, as you know Cotton's best friend. And Orson Wells is both as Charles Foster Kane and Orson Wells himself is this Mercurial mm-hmm. genius that joseph cotton and jed leland and holly martin's follow yeah you know and so the odd what's so weird about this movie is that this movie has one of the great twists it's it's such a great it's such a huge twist that yeah. a third that it is a phrase oh you want to do a third man here mm-hmm. and yet they've cast and his name is the second name yeah orson welles is in this movie and you're watching half the movie wondering when orson welles is going to show up yeah how does the twist work <laughs> exactly you know? And yet it's totally satisfying. Oh, absolutely. When it it happens. Can't deny that. Um, So Martin's is expecting to be met by his good friend Harry Lyme, but Harry Lyme is not there. So he walks off into Vienna, walks under a ladder. Um, (laughs) He's humming to himself. He does seem like kind of a happy-go-lucky guy. Goes up to uh, uh, like an apartment in a strange Dutch angle and a Dutch angle or a tilt canted angle or tilted angle is where the camera is not flat Mm -hmm. and you will see that in more shots in the third man than in any other movie I can think of. Wow. The camera is constantly tilted and it looks amazing. And what's so interesting, it's hard to cut from one tilted angle to a flat angle because Mm -hmm. it can be jarring for whatever reason, Carol Reed knows how to do it because it's never jarring. Yeah. Um, and there's a strange older guy who's doing something with a chandelier yeah. looking down on him and he speaks German. And of course Martins doesn't understand German and neither do I. And then the guy speaks in somewhat broken English.
4: Speak English? English.
0: That he's ten minutes late. Yeah. What are we ten minutes late for? So already gone. His his friends in the coffin.
2: Coffin? Mr. Limes. An accident, knocked over
0: by a car. We find out that Harry Lyme is dead. Yeah. By the way, this uh, German guy didn't speak English. Ah. And so he had to learn all these lines phonetically. And that makes it, it kind of makes it great. Yeah. The way he, he ha- struggles with English. Cer- certainly believable. Totally believable. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a great opening to a movie. Mm-hmm. You show up to meet your best friend who's supposed to have a job. You've got no money in your pocket. Right. Knock on the door. Oh, he's dead. They just took the coffin away. Yeah. Uh, what do you do now? Yeah, what do you do now? Well, what you do is you go to the cemetery. There you go. And we're at the cemetery, and there's uh, a man in sort of a leather coat. That's Trevor Howard, who yep. is uh, Calloway, who is the major part of the British police force there. Oh, I thought it was Callahan. <laughs> he's not. He's English, <laughs> not Irish.
2: Listen, Callahan. Callaway, I'm English, not Irish.
0: That's such a funny, weird joke that comes up multiple times. yes. Um, <laughs> on purpose, I believe. Well, there, there's many times that people call each other by names that are the wrong names. Uh-huh. So, uh, we're going to hear the Anna, who is Harry Lyme's old lover going to uh-huh. call, uh, Martin's Harry multiple times. Yeah. We're going to have him call the doctor Winkler when his name is Winkler. We're going to mess up other people's names. And this is a movie all about mistaken identity and who is the real, who is who and what does all that mean? Right. And he asks right now to, to Callaway who's getting buried, and they go, lime. I just can't imagine. Can you imagine if you came to meet me somewhere and yeah. Steve's dead and now you're at my cemetery looking down at my coffin and the priest has some dust for you to put onto the coffin? Yeah. And I'm like, wait, I, had, I was supposed to have a job here. Yeah.
1: And I'm like, who's this girl that's standing here by the cemetery? Yeah. By the well, and garage. who
0: are these weird looking guys yeah. that are looking at me? Yeah. Because one of the things Carol Reed does so well is faces, yeah. is that you see faces looking at him. Um, And the girl, her name is Ida Valley. Mm-hmm. She puts some dirt on the coffin and she walks away. And Calloway offers Martins a lift into town and we get into a Jeep and we're driving along. And he's kind of asking him some questions about Harry Lime. And as we drive along, we look out of the car, and there's the girl walking, and we drive by her. Mm. And that shot is going to be the exact same shot we see at the end of the film. It's a very striking shot of Anna walking.
1: I thoroughly believe that the Coen brothers use this at the end of Miller's Crossing. Mm. I thoroughly believe that this is something that they used as an homage to Third Man. I bet they love this movie. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever heard them say at a Reddit interview but it feels very
0: familiar yeah totally
2: And a bit of a shock haven't you you could do it with a drink if you buy me one I haven't got any Austrian clothes thanks schmalker
0: and so we end up with Calloway in a, a bar or a cafe having a drink and again we hear Martin's kind of talking about it because now he's mourning his friend Harry right
2: I guess nobody knew Harry like he did like I did how long ago yeah. back in school I was so lonesome in my life till he showed up. When did you see him last? September 39. When the business started? Mm-hmm. See much of him before that? Once in a while. Best friend I ever
0: had. Calloway says, It all sounds like a cheap novelette. <laughs> and Marnes goes, Look, well, I write cheap novelettes. Um, then we find out he writes westerns. Do you think Graham's taking the piss out of himself when he says that? I t- so he was, here's what's interesting because I, I read the novella a couple oh, okay. days ago too. Is they go more into the books and there's a lot of talk about Zane Grey is Martin's favorite author. That's kind of the way he's writing. <laughs> and what That's I really want to know is my guess, and I don't know, is that Graham Greene loves Zane Grey. Yeah, you know what I mean. And actually did admire him, even though they were they were the kind of books that people would make fun of. Right. You know, because I would think Zane Grey probably is like the Stephen King of that time. You mm-hmm. know, he's a genre writer that is very popular that yeah. a lot of people that kind of the intellectuals kind of poo poo. Cause we're going to go into a whole thing about novels. Yeah. And what uh, Graham green did apparently was he said he wrote two kinds of novels. He wrote like, I think dramas and entertainments. Mm. So he wrote novels with spies and all sorts of kind of popular stuff. And then wrote also these heavy or things like the end of the affair and things like that. Right.
2: Must've known I was broke. He even sent me a airplane ticket is a shame. But Him dying like that. Best thing that ever happened to him.
0: That's a rough thing to hear about your friend. And He goes on to say he was the worst racketeer that ever made a living in this city, and that's when Martin's realized that this guy's a policeman. Yeah, he doesn't like policemen. I mean, like, overtly doesn't like policemen. And 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 then we go immediately into sort of, and this is the levels of morality. Oh, what did he do? Did he did he sell a couple of? Of gallons of gas? Did he did he steal a few tires? Right. Like, what are we talking about? Like, aren't there real crimes going on? Because this is after World War II. Everyone's in the black market yeah, yeah, to some degree.
2: Why don't you catch a few murderers for a change? Well, you could say that murder was part of his racket.
0: Which Martins doesn't really get picked up on. He actually goes to hit Calloway. Yeah. Because he's talking smack about his friend. Right. in friend. About his dead friend. And he gets nowhere because this sergeant whose name is Payne comes in and grabs him. And I love that Calloway introduces this is Holly Martin. Holly Martins? I love your books. Yeah. <laughs> one of the really good things in this movie is how it handles um, supporting characters. Yes. They're all really good. Yeah. And this guy's one of them. Why um, the Calloway doesn't know who he is? Well, here's an interesting question is like, how good a cop is Calloway? Yeah. Because he didn't he didn't do any investigating into Harry Lyme's death, no, and he doesn't I mean he seems to be a kind of buy the book guy and why would he investigate
1: if because in, even if, if he knew or sensed that the Russians were defending him, there was no he couldn't get into the Russian section to pull him out anyway well, and frankly, if one drug dealer dies, yeah, you know, how hard do you work right and also it could be an exchange situation well. If I catch someone who's rushing on this side of the fence, sure, we can do
0: an exchange. Oh, that's a good point, too. And Callaway still beat him. I mean, the guy tried to hit him, but he's still like, you know, let's get you a place to stay, and then let's get you out of here. That's basically the deal. And he even says, I'll keep a seat for you on tomorrow's train. And what does Martins do? He goes to punch him again. Yep. And he gets a punch in the face from Sergeant Payne. Yep. I love it. it's Sergeant Payne. That's a wrestling name. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, right. And and yet still, as this soldier is taking him out to go to the hotel, he's still talking about his books, which he likes a lot. Yeah. Told is like he's like, oh, what happened? He's like, the nicest guy in the movie. He really is. Yeah. He's so sweet about everything. Uh we end up at a hotel. And as we're trying to get him checked in, this guy who's sort of a a more upper class intellectual type comes down and Sergeant Payne is talking about, well, this is Holly Martins, who's a writer and Crabbin, this uh, intellectual guy gets very excited because he does uh, educational and cultural events. And why don't you know, we're going to have another event next week. Why don't you stay and speak at our event? You can be the author that we honor and I'll pay for your hotel room to stay. Wow. that sounds like a pretty good deal. Yeah, um, Here's the one thing that's in the novella that's... The novella is pretty much spot on with two exceptions. And one of them is that Crabbins in the book... Is expecting a famous intellectual author uh. <laughs> and thinks that's who Holly Martins is, and Holly Martins stays by pretending to be someone else. Yeah. So then, when he has to speak, they're asking him about all his books that he didn't write. Right. Um, and I and I, I understand it's like that's one more level of exposition that they went. Ah, it's too much work. Right. So instead, it's just they're going to pay for him to stay. Yeah. Um. By the way, that guy's from
1: Buck Rogers in the Twenty Fourth Century. He's in that. He's the old guy. Oh
0: my God. Yes, that's him. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I can't, I would be terrified to revisit that show. <laughs> that could be a patron. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, if someone pays us. That's true. We've proven that we can be bought. We're whores. That's for sure. <laughs> Movie whores. <laughs> Should we change the title of the, the Welcome <laughs> no, to the Movie Horse. We'll make that a second podcast. <laughs> oh, God. Because you and I have time for more podcasts. <laughs> Good um, point. And just as this is going on, there's the phone rings, and someone is calling for Holly Martins. Yeah. And it is uh, Baron Kurtz, who was a friend of Harry Lime's and wants to meet him. And so they set up a time to meet at the Mozart Cafe. He says he'll be taking, uh, carrying one of Martins' books, and that how they'll recognize him. And Holly Martins, who was about to get kicked out of town, is suddenly like, I got a room for a week. Yeah. I got a, a friend of Harry's who wants to meet me. And he heads off to the Mozart Cafe. He senses something, right? He
1: senses something is going on here. He's like, instinct. Is this something's wrong?
0: Well, this is, it's an interesting thing in terms of particularly the noir detective stories mm-hmm. or noir films in general is that he gets sucked into a thing. You know, or even like The Big Lebowski, mm-hmm. which is like... Your rug, I think you're right about that. The Cone must love this film. Yeah. Is that a thing... Ha- there's an event. My friend is dead. And that leads him to this person. Yeah. And then that leads him somewhere else. <laughs> and he essentially becomes a detective in a way, but also in a way where he's not really in control. He has no plan. He's yeah. just following things from one thing to another. There's also an American arrogance to this. Oh, yeah. Right? Because he... Bull- everyone else...
1: Through the lens of this camera and this movie, everyone else around him is dumber than the American, that the American except for Trevor Howard, of course, who although he makes fun of the whole time, uh, he seems to be the most capable of all these people, but it is very much the American like breaking the rules, forcing them to investigate, pushing the boundaries, not doing what he's told to do, which is to leave because of the situation. He's just going to figure it. He's going to do what he wants to do because he's American.
0: And do you think that the film reinforces that, or do yeah. you think? See, because I think it. I think that is very much what's happening. Yeah, but it's not like he knows what's going on. It's not well, like he he's not. He's right. No, he's mostly wrong throughout the whole movie. Right, but he thinks he's right. Sure, but that's what I'm. Well, maybe that's that, what I'm maybe getting it, at. Is. Yes, we're, I think we're uh, agreeing. My my question is whether or not the film is telling us, "Hey, this American is right," and I oh, don't no. think. No, yeah. Okay. I don't think so. Yeah, I think the film actually holds him up as sort of. He's not. I mean, what's really interesting is there is a genius in this film. Yes. And that genius is Harry Lime. It mm-hmm. certainly isn't Holly Martins. No. Holly is a pretty ordinary guy in a lot of ways. And what's interesting to me, too, is that it's not like he's a heroic guy. Mm-hmm. He's never done anything that was like fight for the right. He's yeah. been kind of a go along to get along kind of guy in his life, one would assume. Right. And and, and really also ruled by much more powerful personalities like Harry Lime. Well, when you're poor. Yeah. Right, you're kind of subject to the whims of powerful personalities. Well, and I who think can help that, you. I think that when you're, I, I that, that's an interesting point. I have to think about that because I also think is that Harry Lime's personality is just so. I think you hang around with Harry Lime, things happen. Yeah, you know, positive and negative. Positive and negative, but it's
1: exciting. But it's exciting. Yeah. Do you think? Uh, do you think um, Harry invited Holly knowing this was going to happen? Oh, that's a great question. That's the thing that kept as I was watching the movie, it kept slamming into my brain is like this idea that Harry knew this was going to happen, that he was going to stage this whole thing. He knew Holly wouldn't go home. He knew Holly would investigate this kind of expose certain things and he'd use whatever Holly found out or whatever Holly position, Holly put himself in for
0: his own advantage. Here's my guess. And of course I, I I, I don't know. I don't know. So if we assume that Harry is brilliant, Mm -hmm. I don't think having Holly in town helps his plan. Because Good. it's because if Holly's not in town, they never investigate this thing, and he totally gets away with everything. True. Is that what I what I think is more likely is that? And again, this is you know, listen, you all know we spoil movies, and <laughs> we've already kind of spoiled it. But I'm going to spoil it right now. Harry's not dead, right? Okay, because obviously Harry's not dead because he's played by Orson Welles. Yeah. <laughs> Unless this movie has flashbacks, he's going to show up. Right. So uh, what I think happened is that he invited Harry or invited Martins for. Perfectly good reasons. He was going to give him a job doing his racketeering stuff. Um, And then something went down with Joseph Harnoff or whatever his name, the guy that is in the coffin that they buried, that he was doing deals with, who's the medical guy who was part of the penicillin racketeering. Mm -hmm. Again, we've just – I've just spoiled everything. (laughs) But um, I think something went down and Harry had to – Disappear yeah. at the last minute because well, and we're going to get to it right now. So he, uh, so I'll we'll get to this next point so, to to make it is that mm-hmm. he's talking to Baron Kurtz, who he meets at the Mozart Cafe, who's one of those guys who was at the funeral, who has a great face.
2: So you were a friend of Harry's, I think. His best, except you, of course. The police have a crazy notion that he was mixed up
4: in some sort of racket. Everyone in Vienna is. We all sell cigarettes and that kind of thing. I tell you, I've done things that would have seemed unthinkable before the war.
0: And then he says something really interesting, which is he says,
4: I am an Austrian. I have to be careful with the police. I'm afraid I can't help you. Except uh, with advice, of course.
0: Advice. And the advice is not to dig into this. (laughs) But then he goes and they walk over to where Harry was killed. Right. And he explains that... Here was the street, and he was with Harry, and then they saw a friend of Harry's yeah. crossing the street, and Harry went to meet him, and a car came careening around the corner and slammed into Harry, killing him. Right. And then he says...
4: Even at the end, his thoughts were of you. What did he say? I can't remember the exact words, Holly. I may call you Holly, mayn't I? He always called you that to us. He was anxious I should look after you when you arrived. see that you got safely home tickets you know
0: now when holly originally martin's really originally heard about it he heard that harry was killed instantly right
4: well he died before the ambulance could reach us
0: the reason i wanted to get to this point is that we're just talking about why did harry call martin's and did he know about it Right. right my guess is this plan to fake harry's death was a last minute thing and before they did it he went Oh shit! I just invited Martin's over here. Right. So he told Kurtz, "Listen, this is what you got to tell him: that my last thoughts are him, and you have to get him out of Vienna. Mm-hmm. Because what's Kurtz telling him? Don't dig into this, right? You know this. The, don't worry. You know this is what happened, and you should really go. Yeah, because Kurtz tr- trying to get rid of him. Yeah, right. that's my thinking. And he um,
1: reminds me of what's his face? The last, uh, the last butler in uh, Kane at the end. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Paul whatever his name is. Um, name. Yeah, I knew. I, I knew how to
0: handle him. <laughs> it seems like that. And we also find out that there was another friend of who was there, which was an, a Romanian named Mr. Popescu. Popescu. Which uh, Martin says he wants to talk to him. Yep. And I love how as Martin's walk away, the camera stays on Kurtz and we see other people kind of watching this conversation yeah. we see the porter who's been watching we see this woman watching the movie does a great job of making you suspicious yeah like something's going on what is going on what's happening well when your
1: town has been separated into four separate quadrants right? you are suspicious of everything
0: well and just and after a, a, you know 5 years of war yeah. or 6 years of war and been totally wrecked yeah. and people starving and you know black market as we know yeah um and he goes to talk to the porter who we met earlier Yes. Gets uh, Baron Kurtz to translate. And there's a woman who I'm assuming his wife, she doesn't like the porter talking to this guy. Nope. And we start asking more about who else was at the funeral. And we find out that another person who's there was his doctor, Dr. The Winkle. Dr. Um, Winkle. And we ask about the girl who's something about the theater. And this is when Kurtz is going, look, s- stop.
4: What's the good of another post Suppose you dig up something well discreditable to Harry...
0: So again, he's saying nicely. He's trying to push him away, to push him to stop. Yeah. Um, and the last thing he says is, he's again still asking about the girl in the theater. He says,
4: uh, "But I still think it won't do Harry any good. It, you do better to think of yourself."
0: Now, is that a threat, or is that a warning?
1: I think it's more advice because it's Vienna, and Holly comes off as someone who is really gullible or really not that uh, smart. And might get caught up in the grinding wheels of stuff in Vienna. So he's telling him, you best be careful or whatever.
0: What's interesting to me is so... Or take care of yourself. Holly is theoretically Harry Lime's best friend. That's what we hear over and over again. And we also know they had adventures with... Because they met when they were at school and they had all sorts of adventures. And there was some trouble. I think Kurtz thinks that, that Martins knows more of who Harry is than Martins actually does. Ah, uh, okay. Because I think... Kurtz knows that Harry Lyme is a horrible yeah. uh, racketeer and a, a criminal. And I think he's trying to say to another person who is, knows that, hey, man, maybe you should back off. Yeah. But in fact, he's talking to a naive guy who doesn't really understand right. about his old friend. Right, And I love the last thing he says, uh, Kurtz, as they're walking away, is that he was happy to have met him, the master of suspense. <laughs> That's fun in this kind of a movie. Mm-hmm. By the way, do you think that he's named Kurtz because of Heart of Darkness? Ooh, Jesus. I don't know. Maybe. I kept thinking about it. And maybe just because that name is so strong because of the right. now, obviously. Right. Um, but there's nothing
1: I, about his personality that would no. radiate
0: the Kurtz personality. No. no. And I know Wells was obsessed with Heart of Darkness. He really was. Yeah. I don't know. It probably is nothing. It's probably, you know, name is just a name. Yeah. That's the greatest loss, Wells' Heart of Darkness. Yeah. What could have been. Yeah. Um, he's back at the hotel, and there's the sergeant. Here's your plane ticket. And he's like, no, I am not going, because I'm going to speak for Crabbin with the society of whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and we're at the theater. Again, these Dutch angles. When he's sitting in the theater, holding his program, I mean, what are you thinking about?
1: Leland, of course. Yeah. Me too. Just flipping it up and back and like (laughs) hearing Susan sing, screeching in the background as he cuts up the program. In that low angle. And yeah, yeah. no, me too. You can't not think of it. That's what I'm saying. It's amazing how many Citizen Kane beats there are in this movie. It's,
0: it's uh, you know. And we see Anna, who's up on the stage in some kind of a period piece. The whole thing is in German. He heads off backstage and says, I was a friend of Harry Limes. Yeah. And there is a look from her that is big. Yeah. And then she has to go back on stage. And I love the moment where she's on stage acting and still kind of looks back at him yeah. out of character, yeah. then jumps back in character. Um, it's after the play. Um, she's getting undressed. She invites him in. He compliments her on the play. Yeah. And she says, do you speak German?
2: <laughs> no. Perhaps Harry told you about me. My name is
1: Holly Martins. Oh, my God. Her response is cold.
2: No, he never told me about his friends.
0: It really makes you wonder who... Who Harry what Harry Lyme really thought? Yeah. of Holly Martin's? Uh, yeah. and she offers him tea, uh, tea or whiskey, and he says tea's fine. So he's presented kind of as an alcoholic mm-hmm. It's always interesting to me, I think he doesn't drink on the job. Oh. I think when he's in serious moments, he doesn't drink because there's okay. several times he refuses alcohol, and then there's several times where he does some serious drinking. Sure. He asks about Harry, and she just says there's nothing to talk about because he's dead. like what's the point?
2: in love with him, weren't you? I don't know. How can you know I think like that afterwards? I don't know anything anymore except
4: I want to be dead too.
2: Some more tea?
0: Hmm. That kind of sounds like you were in love with him. That sounds like love to me. Yeah. I mean, not a very happy love, but... Yeah. Um, and he asked about Kurtz, and she, which he doesn't recognize the name, but when he mentions that he has a little dog, which I didn't mention before, mm-hmm. she... She, she says, oh yeah, I remember him. And then his question is, what did Harry see in a man like that? Right. Because <laughs> Holly has a totally different version, vision of who Harry is yeah. than the reality. Cause he knows that's a bad guy. Which is, which is what um, Harry has fostered. Yep. Years for years, probably. Presenting who he wants Holly to see him as yeah. to get what he wants out of him. Yep, Because Harry, in my opinion, is a sociopath. Yes. I mean, I think there's little question that he is just interested in what he can get and yep. using people to get what he wants. Some people accused Wells of doing that. Well, this is, again, this is to your point earlier. Yeah. Casting Wells is just, he's so great. In, he's like in the movie for like seven minutes. Tops. Yeah. And apparently a fair amount of that is the assistant director being his body double. Certainly in the running scenes
1: yeah. in the sewer, I can't imagine, I can't imagine those are those all Wells. They're not.
0: Yeah. We'll, well, so we'll, we'll get there, but yeah. Wells didn't show. That was the beginning of the shoot. <laughs> he didn't show up, so they just shot whatever they could figure out how to shoot. Um, I can't show up, my man. Then she says, when they talk about Kurt, she goes, oh, that's the man who gave me money.
2: He said he had been anxious at the last moment. Yeah
0: which is, of course, exactly what Kurtz said that Wells said about Martins. Right. He said he remembered me, too. So we've constructed this weird moment after he gets hit by the car, before the ambulance shows up, where he is told Kurtz to take care of Martins and he's worried about him, right. and told Kurtz to give money to Anna because he's worried about her. Neither of which, I mean, Harry Lime probably said those things, but yeah. he wasn't hit by a car. right? You know, so this is the what has been constructed. Yeah. And she mentions Dr. Winkler uh, as well, um, and that he was there at, right after the accident, just happened to be passing by. Yeah, It's like, oh, that's, that's kind of a strange coincidence. And then we find out that the driver of the car was Harry's driver. <laughs> so he's with his two best friends. His doctor shows up right yeah. after he's hit, and the guy driving the car is his driver. Right. Wow. Um, this is not a good lie.
2: Kurtz, this uh, Romanian uh, Popesco, his own uh, driver knocking him over, his own doctor just passing by. No strangers there at all. I know. I wondered about it a hundred times if it really was an accident.
0: Zither music hits. And Holly turns. And now he suddenly goes, I got to go talk to the porter. So we're we're back with the porter at the window and Anna is translating it. and And we find out he didn't see it. He right. heard it. He heard the brakes. But he saw the body taken to the Emperor Joseph statue right below them. And Anna is kind of looking around the room because we're in Harry's rooms. And she sits down in a mirror and she opens a drawer and she finds a comb. And this and as we're watching her, we're hearing the conversation about whether or not he could have been conscious. Yeah, And the porter says, no, he was dead. No. I know dead when I see it. <laughs> and that guy was dead.
2: <laughs> but this sounds crazy. If he was killed at once how could he have talked about me and this lady here after he was dead?
3: Why didn't you say all this at the inquest? Uh, it's better not to be mixed up in things like cease. Things like what?
0: And Marnes is like, "Well, you got to go to the police. You got to tell them this." Yeah. And he's like, "Hey, I'm not the only guy who didn't go to the police." John, there was a third man. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> <laughs> So so there was apparently not just two guys. And then the doctor showing up later, there were three guys there. Oh yes. A third man. Wow. But, but who could that third man be? And he asked the porter, did you see his face? And it's like, no, he's wearing a hat and he never looked up. So I never saw his face. Yep. So <laughs> title of the movie after uh, the first screening in the U S one yeah. of Selznick's assistants came up to David O. Selznick and said, but we never found out who the third man was.
1: perfect And that assistant was fired days later
0: <laughs> and and then we look out the window and we see people in the shadows shadows play such a huge part in this film and and a lot of time we're just looking and seeing them right and maybe they mean something and maybe they don't
1: so symbolism hiding in shadows yeah
0: and and then right as all this is going on a ball bounces into the room oh yeah and there's this little kid yeah talk it, about face casting oh yeah that kid is amazing to look at and we see his POV as he looks up at his dad, which is the porter, right. talking to these people. That, that, that guy's way too old to be the dad of that child. But I whatever. think that's what it is. Or maybe it's his grandfather. No, but they right. call him Papa. Yeah, think they, they call, call him Papa. Papa yeah. Um, look, old guys can have kids.
1: I'm sorry. Yes, it's very true. Um,
0: and and then they're turning off the lights. Turning on lights and turning off lights is yeah. very important in this film. and comes up multiple times. Yep. And we toss the ball back to the kid. And later on, Anna and uh, Martins are walking, and she's like, you should stop this. Don't okay. get mixed up. I one, one of the things I really wonder is how much does she know about how bad Harry Lyme is? Good question. I don't know. She certainly knows he's not an honest guy. Well, she, he got her the, the, the pass- passport. The yeah. passport, yeah. Even when she finds out, because she does find out yeah. all of it at a certain point. Yeah. She doesn't care necessarily. Mm-hmm. That's where this movie is so morally ambiguous. Right. What we want her to be, what Martin's wants her to be is the damsel in distress that he's going to rescue. Right? That is not who she is. She doesn't want rescuing. She wants Harry Lyme. Yeah. Well, to survive in post-war
1: Vienna, I imagine you have to have that certain kind of spine, steel spine Yeah.
0: to get to what you want and to endure it. But she makes choices later on, which we'll get to which are against her survival yeah. in order to be with Harry Lund, yeah, um, or not take things from. But right now she's saying, you know, get out of this and, and that he should go out of town and they walk up to, which we find out is her place. And there's an old lady speaking in German, who's another great character. Yes. And we find out that there are police searching her apartments yes. searching her rooms and they go upstairs and there is Calloway with a lot of cops. <laughs> he asks for her papers and, and Martin's is like, don't give him anything, because right. he's American. He's like, you know, of course. legal search and seizure. You don't have to do anything. But uh, she does give him papers. He examines them. Something's wrong with the papers. Mm. So what we discover is this is an excellent forgery, yeah. but these are not legal papers, and he's going to have to keep them.
2: How do you expect her to live in this city without a paper? Write her out a receipt, pen and give her a receipt of those letters, too. This way, miss.
0: And now the sergeant's going through Anna's letters, all her letters from Harry. And she seems more upset about that than she was upset about her papers. It's, yeah, yeah, total violation yeah. of her actual privacy. Yeah. yeah.
3: They're private letters. That's
4: all right, miss. Don't worry. We're used to it, like doctors.
0: And then he says to them, doesn't it bother you that Harry was murdered? You didn't even bother to get the complete evidence. And Holly tells them about the third man.
2: There was a third man there. I suppose that doesn't sound peculiar to you. I'm not interested in whether a racketeer like Lime was killed by his friends or by an accident. The only important thing is that he's dead.
0: And again, he calls him Callahan.
1: (laughs) I think when he does it later in the movie, he's doing it on purpose.
0: Yeah, I think so too. To like, just drill the point home of how incompetent this dude is in his mind. And what does Calloway tell Martin? He says, get out. And Martin's like, I'm going to get to the bottom of this.
2: Death's at the bottom of everything, Martins. Leave death to the professional. Mind if I use that line my next Western? You can't chuck me out. My papers are in order.
1: There he is. Yep. You have no legal right in yeah. this country that you're visiting.
0: You have no money. You're staying yeah. there because some guy is putting you up. Yeah. You don't speak the language. You don't know anything. You're like, well, I'm going to just get to the bottom of this. There it is. I think Holly has a kind of a wonderful foolishness. Yeah. And you might call it an arrogance. Um, and it's certainly both. I do both. feel like it's an arrogance. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of both. Okay. I mean, I don't, because, but here's why I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know if I feel arrogance. I don't think he has the highest opinion of himself. I don't think he has the highest opinion of anybody around him. I, I uh, other than Harry. Right. You know, I think he's kind of a, I don't I don't try to figure out how to put it. Uh, it's almost like he's just not going to quit. Yeah. I, I almost said it like a, like Rocky, but that's not the right thing. Right. But it's like, He's just like, well, nobody else is doing this. I'm going to do it. Yeah. You know, like, because I want to find out, not because I'm particularly smart or good at this or qualified or really had any, does he think he's successful in any part of his life? I mean, the guy's pretty much a failure Yeah, and thinks of himself as that, I think, you know, and yet he's going, well, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Yeah. You know, so I don't, that's why I kind of don't feel like it's arrogance.
1: But it is because he thinks he can go get the, he's never investigated a thing in his life but he thinks he can just randomly decide yeah. to do it and somehow it's going to work out. Yeah. And that's just that's the American arrogance of things.
0: Um, and not only that, but he also was telling uh, Anna that he's going to straighten out all the stuff with the police and work yeah. all that stuff out too. Yeah. And he gets the name of the doctor and the police and Anna exit, and the landlady is still talking in German. <laughs> and back at police headquarters, we see her papers go to the Russians. Yeah, because it was Russians' documents, and I think she's from Czechoslovakia, and she's not where she's supposed to be. Yep. And I don't quite understand the whole thing, um, but but the problem is if the is the Russians. Yeah, that's the problem here.
1: Blame the Russians.
0: Yep. And we go to meet Doctor Winkle or Doctor Winkle or Doctor Winkle, which we then kind of mess up the name. His room that he's in is the most. I think this dude grabbed every piece of weird art he could during World War II <laughs> and is, is hoarding all of it. Yeah, maybe. It is some weird. And there is a, uh, one of the speculations is that he and Baron uh, Kurtz are uh, a couple. Oh. And they have their little dog and their strange oh, room. And, interesting. Yeah. Okay. And okay, and he's asking him the same questions oh. about the accident. And the doctor says he was dead when he arrived. He asked who was with them two friends, not three. Right. Um, he asked if he was conscious, and the doctor says, I understand he was, but, uh, but not when I got there. Yeah. They asked if he was in great pain. Well, not necessarily, which is true about people in accidents like this. True.
2: Could he have been capable of making plans for me and others just, just during those few moments? I understand he left some instructions before he died. I cannot
3: give an opinion. I was not there. My opinion is uh, limited to the causes of
0: death. And basically, he's not getting any information from Dr. Winkle. (laughs) Winkle. Winkle. And we head back to police headquarters, and the Russians have examined the forged papers and say it was very good. Um, Calloway and Anna asked for a passport back. Nope. Mm Mm-hmm. And they start asking her about Harry Lyme.
2: Miss Schmidt, you were intimate with Lyme, weren't you? We loved each other. You mean that?
0: And then, now they start talking about this other man, a man named Joseph Harbin, yeah. who's the one I mentioned earlier, who worked in the military hospital. Nope, right. she doesn't know him.
2: It's stupid to lie to me, Miss Schmidt. I'm in a position to help you. I'm not lying. You're wrong about Harry. You're wrong about everything.
0: And this is where I go like, well, what, how much does she know? Because what's in the love letters, yeah. they found out that she wanted him to contact Joseph Harbin. So when she tells mm. uh, Calloway, she actually is lying or doesn't remember about that.
1: Oh, huh. interesting.
0: And Joseph disappeared the same day she called him. Right. Right. Which has got to be right around when Harry, when, when Martin showed up and Harry died. Mm-hmm. Um, so this all happened pretty darn recently. But if you're that guy, how do you get confused for, for Orson Welles? That's what I want to know. Well, this is the thing. Well, <laughs> we—I I don't know. I don't know where they're what all he, in it. They're yeah. all in this thing. So yeah, I mean, I don't know if anyone ever saw that body. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. because it was his driver, his doctor, his two friends. Good point. It was in a coffin, and then the coffin got buried in the cemetery. All right. You know, so so they they must have killed Joseph Harbins because they had to get rid of him oh, for right. some reason, right? And then they used that as the way to make Harry Lyme disappear. I mean, I think that's what's what what is actually happened. Okay. We also Calloway says that American is still, you know, looking out for you. And there, of course, is Martin's outside. Yeah. And we're in the Casanova Club, and Anna and Martin's enter, and Krabben, uh, our our intellectual, is there. He's arranged the lecture for tomorrow. He's <laughs> very excited. Uh, the, the subject will be um, the modern novel, and they want you to talk on the crisis of faith. And he's kind of going, "Huh? You want me to talk a, talk about what now?"
2: Oh, I thought you know you're a writer. <laughs> but of course you do. Good night,
0: old man. Well, The Crisis of Faith, that is like Graham, Gre- Graham Greene's main theme. Yeah, you're talking that about is that. his wheelhouse. And so it's interesting to me that the writer in his story is asked to talk about his topic and right. totally has nothing to say on it. <laughs> in a film which has, it doesn't have elements of faith exactly, except for Faith in Harry Lime. Right. You know? And they order a couple of whiskeys. Kurtz comes up with a violin and knows that he saw the doctor. And here's the Romanian who we thought was out of town, but he's apparently back. This is Popescu or something like that. And he wants to, of course, meet all of Harry's friends. Here comes Popescu, Popescu and she remembers him because he's the guy who helped Harry create her forged papers. Right. I love the machinations of this plot. It's complicated. Everything is connected. And it takes a little bit to kind of pull it all apart. But it's really all interesting.
3: I can't help blaming myself and wishing things had been different. Anyway, he saw me and stepped off the sidewalk to meet me. And the truck, it was terrible, Mr. Martins, terrible. I've never seen a man killed before. I think there was something funny about the whole thing. Funny?
0: And again, they ask about the third man. Nope, it was just the two of us.
2: Who could have told you a story like that? Poor at Harry's place. He was cleaning the window at the time.
0: And there's a look between these two guys. That is the moment that he killed the porter. Huh. You know? Um, they also ask if they know about this guy, Joseph Hobin, And the response is, everyone ought to be careful in a city like this. Yeah. And the zither music comes in. <music> so what is so fascinating about this movie yeah. is, we obviously know these are bad guys. This is not like a mystery, but we don't understand the kind of bad guys. They are is that what we think and what I think Martin's thinks is that they killed Harry, right? But that is not the reality at all. No, they're working with Harry. They're his partners. They're unusual in look, unusual in demeanor. So
1: it makes sense that Harry would hire them or have them as his employers because they can hide in plain sight. That's, that is a good point. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then there's this weird moment of, we have this hard cut to Popescu who was at a bridge making some kind of deal Yeah, and I don't quite understand what it's telling us. I thought that was Harry. It might be with Harry. I think that's Harry in the cream jacket walking in the middle of them. It might be. It's hard to know exactly what that is. Or the third man. Martins is at the street looking around and the Porter calls him from the window. Says he wants to tell him something. Um, and, and tells him to come later tonight when his wife goes out. Yeah. And inside the apartment that Porter turns away from the door from the window and sees something and freezes. It's a great reaction. What do you think him. he sees? Harry Lime. Yeah, damn right. Yeah. He sees Harry Lime. That's the kind of fear Harry Lime can put in you. Yeah. We're back at Anna's. Mm-hmm. And he tells her that the Porter wants to see them tonight. And she's packing up. Uh, She's got, like, a new script to read. He said he'll read it with her, even though he doesn't speak German, which is a strange little um, bit. Um, Asked if it was a bad day. Her response, it's always bad around this time.
4: I've been frightened. I've
2: been alone without friends and money. I've never known
3: anything
0: like this. Um, And she asked him to talk about Harry. Yeah. Martin says he drank too much once. He tried to steal my girl.
2: (laughs) it's, It's very difficult. You knew Harry. We didn't do anything very amusing. We just made everything seem like such uh,
1: fun. You tried to steal my girl. Mm. Mary had a lot of friends, if you know what I mean, in school. What does he say?
0: What it does Cleveland say? Uh, she, lot dancing, of, girls. dancing, dancing school. Yeah, met a lot of nice girls. Met a Nice girls. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and she was nice, a lot nicer than others. Yeah, uh, in dancing school
1: and in and, dancing school and. uh... Wells ends up, or Kane ends up with her, not Leland. That is funny. Yeah, I'm just telling. You, the beats are all there as you're watching this, and I'm just like, is this a tangent that they just wrote? Or I mean, obviously, obviously, Graham Green, Green wrote it, but it's so fascinating how much it could be a like what if about I, Citizen a, I, Kane.
0: I, I my gut is that that the casting is not a coincidence, but most of the other stuff is a coincidence. But It's fascinating, coincidence. but it's a fascinating coincidence. Yeah. Well, and and the thing too, he talks about that Harry tried to steal his girl. Well, what's he trying to do right now? Yeah. I mean, and this goes into like, well, what are Martin's motivations? I mean, he asked about the girl right from the beginning, yep. right from the very beginning. And he he does want to find out what happened to his friend, Harry, but he's very interested in the girl. I don't think he's as clean as, as, he's, as he's portrayed
1: initially. And then we find out this is why he has Harry Lyme as a friend. Because he himself is
0: not as unsa or is not as savory as you think. Well, and 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 there's this moment where he's talking about Harry, and he says he could fix things. Yeah, he fixed my papers for me.
2: He heard the Russians were repatriating people like me who came from Czechoslovakia. He knew the right person straight away for forging stamps. Yeah, when he was fourteen, he taught me the three card trick. That's growing up fast.
0: Now we both know Orson Welles is a magician. That's yes. there we go.
2: If we have to see the
1: porter, we'd better
2: go. Harry, can't we talk quietly for a couple of minutes? I thought you wanted to. A moment to... ago, you said you didn't mm-hmm. want to
3: see the porter. We're both in it, Harry.
2: Holly. I'm so sorry. all right.
0: Again, these mistaken names, mistaken identity.
2: You know, you ought to find yourself a girl.
0: They're out on the street, and they see a crowd out in front of the Harry's place. Yep. And we find out the porter is dead murdered and who do we see but that kid with the ball an annoying little brat and he's calling for his father yeah and then the kid grabs holly and we don't know what he's saying i think this moment is really scary and really intense because there's a crowd of people there and the kid is pointing and grabbing at Holly and speaking in German yep. and all the faces are slowly turning yep. and Anna comes up and she says he's saying that you killed his father. Yeah.
1: Murderer.
0: Murderer. That is really scary and they leave and the kid continues to talk and chases after them. Chases him down the street. The crowd is falling. Uh, there's a great shot of him going down these broken stairs that music is playing and I love just the use of shadows going through the streets of Vienna at night. And one of the things that we should say is that film noir and its use of black and white and darkness and light is yeah. obviously really important. And the, if you're going to have um, these darkened streets, what you do is you wet down all the cobblestones right. and wet down all the stones so it reflects that light back up. Oh. And the shadows, what's so interesting to me, particularly in this film, is like when you go to light a scene... Yeah, The basic rule of realistic cinematography is what are the light sources? Right. So if it's daytime, well, we have sun coming in through the window and then we have a light over here and that we're going to, or we have lamps at night or we have lights above or whatever, headlights, and that we're going to place all of our big lights in the positions from where the actual sources of light should be. Okay. So we have a natural sense of lighting. Right. That's basically how you do it. Huh. You don't have like, if, if we're sitting... Um, next to a window on our left in yeah. the daytime, you don't have the the light hitting us from the right. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Right. So that's the basic, you know, how do we create, even though the light's not natural at all and it's completely different, you still want to feel like natural light. Yeah. I don't know where the hell all the lights are coming from in this film. <laughs> they are super bright and they leave super, super dark shadows and yeah. the, the cobblestones are glowing practically cause they're wetted down mm-hmm. and it looks so cool yeah it looks super cool and as they run through broken and destroyed vienna it looks amazing mm-hmm. with that zither music and they buy some tickets for a movie or something yeah. and they go into um a movie theater that kid's like the kid from better off dead there's my <laughs> two dollars <laughs> <laughs>
1: chasing him all the way down scary
0: kid <laughs> i think this is the first true oh shit oh you know because martin's is like what what does this mean yeah. you know like like oh if they killed the porter they could kill me. They oh, yeah. could kill Anna. Yeah, we're in deep, deep trouble. Absolutely. Back at his hotel, before he gets back there, is a dangerous-looking man asking about Martin. Um, and Martin comes in and asks. Um, he wants to reach Callaway. Yeah, and the big dangerous guy goes, "I got a car for you." And he goes, "Okay," and he gets in the car and says, "Take me to police headquarters." And the car takes off like a rocket, it just takes throwing off. him in the back. Yeah, and the guy doesn't say anything to him, mm-hmm. and Martin just going like, "You're gonna." kill me (laughs) and the car drives through and we think that too oh yeah if you're watching it for the first time you can't help but think this is it car is driving super fast down these streets and pedestrians are getting out of the way and why don't you just people are looking up up and martin's you know uh it's goes through his gate really fast stops suddenly and martin wants to run and the door's open and there's Kraven because he's brought him to the lecture (laughs) that is a great reversal it's a great twist great twist um, and they bring him up on stage and introduce him. Can you imagine, like, first of all, you're really not a lecturer. Second of all, you don't even know what a crisis of faith is. And third of all, you thought you were about to die. Yeah. And now you're suddenly on stage doing a Q&A. <laughs> it's brutal. Um, and he does not do well. No. No. And they're asking him about stream of consciousness. He doesn't know what that is. They ask him about James Joyce. He doesn't know what that is. They ask him whose favorite author is Zane Gray. <laughs> they don't know who that is. And who comes in but Popescu. Yeah. And uh, he says,
3: is Mr. Martins engaged on a new book? Yes. It's called The Third Man.
0: <laughs> we were just talking about movies where they say the name of the movie yeah. in, the, in the movie. This one doesn't actually bother me as much.
1: No, no, no. I know it does.
0: It does bother you. Um, this one, not as much. Right, right. But I'm in saying, other movies, it yes. really Well, it's yeah. when it's dropped in. Right, you know, but this actually, there's a reason they're talking about the third man because that's who he wants to find. Can you feel that purple rain? Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> I, all I know is we just got to s- be saving Private Ryan that, right that's, now. That's that we true. We just really have to do. Let's say that. And I, and I love this dialogue. Are you a slow rider?
3: Not when I get interested. I would see you were doing something pretty dangerous this time. Yeah. Mixing fact and fiction. Should I make it all back? Why no, Mr. Martins. I'd say stick to fiction, straight fiction. I'm too far along with the book, Mr. Popesco. Haven't you ever scrapped a book, Mr. Martins? Never. Pity.
0: And by this time, everyone has walked out. And what's great about that dialogue is that this is a warning. Yeah. He's saying, like, the porter is dead. And he's saying, "I'm going. you're going to die yeah. if you keep doing this. This is pretty heroic of Martin's okay. at this point. Okay. I mean, he's got a guy threatening him, yeah. you know, and he says right to his face, no, I'm going to keep investigating you. Right. Um, And of course, at this moment, he looks over and we got some thugs and and Martin sees the thugs and he goes running up the stairs, up a really cool spiral staircase. Yep. Beautiful, beautiful shots from below. We, he goes into a room. It's dark. We hear a really weird noise. He goes, who is it? He turns on a light, and it's a bird. <coughs> yeah, That's right. It's the same cockatoo from Cain. It's from Cain! <laughs> it's the same one! On, <coughs> you know, those birds live a long time. I'm just saying. I don't know how they got him to Vienna. There's so much Kane in this movie, it's mind-blowing, dude. By the way, this movie was shot half in Vienna and half at Shepperton in London. Mm. And uh, all, most of the exteriors are Vienna. They yeah. shot like six weeks there. They shot... Three units, so th- that means three different camera crews, With th- and they were shooting almost 24 hours a day. And Carol Reed, what he was doing was he would sleep for two hours, two to three hours, yeah. and go to the next unit. Then sleep for two to three hours, go to the next unit. Sleep two to three hours, go to the next unit. He did that for months. Wow. I can't imagine. Oh, thanks. Um, and so so most of the interiors are in Shepperton. So that's probably where he is when he sees this bird and then he goes to go out the window and the bird bites him just as he's going out the window. And this is a great chase through the ruins of Vienna over, you know, broken steps down through alleyways, beautiful shadows in front of an old church across some ruins. He hides out in like a burnt out, destroyed car. Runs down down an alley in another tilted angle. It just looks great. And he gets away. Yes, he does. And he makes it to Calloway.
1: This isn't
2: Santa Fe. I'm not a sheriff and you aren't a cowboy. You've been blundering around with the worst bunch of racketeers in Vienna. Your precious Harry's friends. And now you're wanted for murder. But I'm drunk and disorderly too. I have.
0: This has not gone well. No. I don't think Calloway thinks for a second that Martin's murdered the no. Porter. And again, it's like, stop acting like a fool. Yeah. Get out of town.
2: I'm only a little fool. I'm an amateur at it. You're a professional.
0: And now Calloway has changed his plan. Yeah. He wants, he says, get me the Lyme file and let's get Martin's a whiskey. Mm -hmm. And they show him the proof. Yeah. Which is that Harry Lyme has been watering down penicillin, selling it back from the black market to people in need, including amputees and people injured in the war and kids with spinal meningitis. And they overwhelm him. They got slides, they got fingerprints, they got photographs, they got all sorts of evidence. And you see Martin's soul get crushed a little bit. And I think Joseph Cotton's great in this scene. Oh, yeah. You watch the deterioration of his friendship with Harry. Yep. And particularly when you get to, you know, the kids. And at one point he says, the lucky children died. Yeah. The unlucky ones went off their heads. That's brutal.
1: Yeah. Once again, prove that what you said is a sociopath.
0: Yeah.
2: How could he have done it? I'm sorry, Martins. I'm sorry, too.
0: And he walks out and he asks about that airplane ticket, which they say they're going to send him. Um, and then just as he's leaving, in comes the Russian and asks about Anna's passport. Yep. And Calloway resists, but it's very clear that the Russians are going to get the passport. Yep. So Martins was going to go. Like he had, it had been proven to him that his good, good best friend in the world, Harry Lyme, was a really, really bad guy. Yeah. And he went, okay, I'll leave. And then the Russians wanted Anna's passport. And now Martin's is not going to leave. Right. We're in a club. Martin's is drinking. There's a woman doing a somewhat erotic burlesque dance in the background. Sure. Uh, He buys some flowers from a flower lady. He heads off to Anna's. He brings in the flowers. She was in bed. Crying. right She's kind of confused about what he's doing here.
2: I thought you were going to keep away. Are the police after you? I don't know. You're trying
0: Karen, too. Dead. Cotton, by the way, again, Kane, he's a great drunk. Yes. He's a great, great drunk.
1: Even when he, because, yeah, because he's slurring, but it's not overt.
0: Well, and he's sort there. Of charming. Yes, he's he is drunk. charming. Yes. True. <laughs> I am a well-meaning fathead. (laughs) And then he sees the cat. And he goes over to play with the cat. And the cat is having none of it and runs out. And he says, not very sociable, is he? No, he only liked Harry. Yeah. That is great. Good Um, seed dropping. Absolutely. He told you,
2: didn't he? Told me? About Harry. Do you know? I've seen Major Calloway today.
0: And he gets up, and then there's this completely bizarre shot, which is the camera pushes through. He's near the window. The camera kind of pushes through the plants and then goes out of the window down to a shot of the street. And we're down on the street, and we see the cat walking down an alleyway towards some feet. Yes. And the cat licks some very beautiful shoes. So first of all, that cat was not a nice cat on the set. <laughs> it took like a lot of a lot of work to get that cat to do this, wow. and a lot of sardine oil on those shoes oh. to get the cat to lick them. And we're back up to Anna, and she says he's better off dead. Right. And and here's what I wonder because I've seen this movie a bunch. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking the first time you see this? The cat only likes Harry. Yeah. You watch a cat, for no reason we've cut out of the house, away right. from Martin's POV, which is almost the entire movie we're with Martin. Yeah.
3: Sure.
0: Down to a street and we watch a cat walk and lick some shoes. What do you think we know? First time you're watching. Oh, oh um that it might be Harry? Is that what you mean? That's what I'm asking. Is, yeah, that, yeah, is yeah. the audience starting to go?
1: I think if you're a keen observer and you're smart, you pick that clue up and you go, oh. That could be Harry because the whole film has been about trying to find out what actually happened to right. Harry. So if you're a smart person, you're a observant person, you see the cat do what it's doing, then you see the shoes. You can't help but think that it might be
0: uh, Harry back to life or Harry Lyme. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I talk about in my class a lot is how many people in the audience have to know a certain piece of information. Right. So there's certain things where you need all the audience to understand. Like if we're doing Jurassic park, you need all the audience to understand that we're bringing back dinosaurs. Yes. You know what I mean? Like that's what the movie's about. Yes. But there are other things in movies where half of the audience finds out or some finds out at this point, a little more finds out a little later, a little more finds out a little later. Yeah. There's some really abstract things, which if only 5% of your audience kind of noticed that particular thing, that's okay. And they can come and say, Hey, did you notice this thing? No, I don't know what you're talking about. And then they have a good conversation. Right. I think this is a case where it's, a few members of the audience went. Who's that? Who's looking those shoes? She said the cat only likes Harry, but most of them, my guess is, don't. Yeah, maybe maybe it's twenty or thirty percent of the audience starts to suspect at this moment. And moment, the rest of them is kind of just flowing over them. Yeah, that's what I kind of wonder. And and Martin's we're back with them, and he says, "I knew him for twenty years, or at least I thought I knew him."
2: he was laughing at fools like us all the time.
4: He liked to laugh.
0: Yeah, he liked to laugh. <laughs> yeah. He was selling those watered down penicillins for 70 pounds a tube. So he's making a fortune off of killing kids. Yep. Yeah. And her response is Harry was real. He wasn't just your friend and my lover. He was Harry.
2: You talk about him as if he had occasional bad manners.
0: (laughs) Do you hear, do you hear you talk about the people as if they owe you something? They owe you something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's now that you've said this, it's just messing me with me a little bit. Uh, I
1: mean, it, it, I'd never thought it before
0: in any of the previous times I watched the movie.
1: and then last night as I was watching, I was like, my God, this is madness.
2: No, I don't know. I'm just a hack writer who drinks too much and falls in love with girls.
0: you as if she didn't know right.
2: I am leaving the other. I don't care whether Harry was murdered by.
0: and what is he doing then he's playing with the light switch yeah lights on light off like these little things that come up a lot are important in this very strange way
1: this is way a bit domineering too um i decide when the lights on or when the lights are off okay
0: look i've got a splitting
2: headache and you stand there and just talk and talk and talk i i
0: hate it and then she laughs and he says, That's the first time I saw you laugh. Do it again. And then she starts to cry. I think that is an amazing yeah. kind of moment. Yeah.
2: There isn't enough for two laughs.
0: Have you ever felt that way? There isn't enough oh. for two laughs. Yeah, I'm sure I have in my I past. Have, I have. I'm sure there have been moments where. But uh, that was all the happiness you could muster in yeah. that moment. Yeah. Um, Oof. Yeah, those are bad days. That's a rough one. And she puts her head down and he comes close. Um, and says, I make comic faces stand on my head and grin at you between my legs, tell all sorts of jokes, I wouldn't stand a chance, would I?
1: <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't stand a chance, would Why is he trying to woo his best, supposedly, deceased best friend's girl uh, through this whole time when he's investing in the death of Harry Lime? This well, is a little unsavory
0: of him to do. Well, and to be clear, he doesn't know her. I mean, what does he know but about he her? he knows that she's... Connected to Harry or dated Harry or I, I, in love with yeah, Harry. Yeah, I think this is such an example of falling in love from the outside. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, from the exterior. He, he does not know anything about her. Yeah. He's beca- And I think, you know, he's a vulnerable guy who's lost his best friend, who's got no money, he's in a strange city, in this completely b- bizarre situation, yeah. and he gloms onto her. You know? Mm-hmm. This sad, desperate, scared, very vulnerable person who mm-hmm. it who, who never... And this was so interesting in this movie. There is never a single moment in this movie that she gives him any indication that she's attracted nope. to him whatsoever. Nope. And that's so, I mean, in basic, it's funny, it comes up with my students frequently. They're like, how do I show that this person is attracted to this person? And I'm like, if it's, a, if it's two people, male and female, and they're both attractive, and they look at each other in a movie, we know they're attracted to each other. <laughs> yeah, we we'll assume it. That's generally how movies work. Yeah. Because that's the assumption. Because yeah. there's, those are the only two people in the movie. Yep. You know, if there's this is the only woman and he keeps spending time with her, we know he's attracted to her. Yeah. And she does nothing. Nope. And he keeps kind of coming at her. And there's great... She cries when she he says that. I wouldn't have a chance, would I? Yeah. And there's these close-ups. And And he says, well, you did tell me I ought to find myself a girl, which is something she said much earlier in the movie Mm -hmm. and that line hits her really hard yeah we're outside martin's is walking slowly and we see this doorway and we see a dutch angle and what do we see the only thing lit in that frame is the cat yeah and the feet and there's a body in shadow and the cat meows this is one of the great moments in all of film. Yeah. Martin's looks back, and what's he thinking? He's being followed. Yes. The porter has been killed. They might be trying to kill him. Sure. And he says...
2: What kind of a spy do you
0: think you are,
2: Satchelfoot? No answer. What are you tailing me for? No answer. Cat got your tongue? Come on out. Come out, come out, whoever you are.
0: And there's a close-up of the cat licking its paws.
2: Step out in the light and let's have a look at it. Who's your boss?
0: And now the neighbors have started talking. Right. Who is this guy yelling in the street in the middle of the night? Yeah. And what do you do when someone is yelling in the street in the middle of the night? You turn on the lights and yell at them from your window. You turn on the lights. Be quiet. And that light comes on. And there is Orson Welles.
1: Harry. One of the greatest moments or introductions of any character in any film ever in film history I, I, there
0: it is so the lighting is so perfect and the shape of orson's face and this is when orson was just this unbelievably striking person yeah you know before all the weight and it, he's such an unusual looking person and i really think carol reed and i uh krasker i think is the name of the cinematographer mm-hmm. who won the oscar for this film really knew how to shoot him yeah. He looks so great. Wells a smirk and smile in that
1: moment. Like I, he's, I mean, he's found out but he's like almost like what are you going to do about it? Just playful icon like, kind of smirk. Ooh, I was Oh, you, you got me. You got me. You got yeah, me. Yeah, exactly.
0: And 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 the, and of course we have the zither music with with the real theme of the third man. Yeah. And man, that just moment and it stretches out in just a perfect way yeah. of Martin's realizing that That's Harry Mm Long. that he's here, that he's not dead. And everything falling into place, all the story, who is the third man, what everything meant, is all kind of clicking into position. And Martins goes towards him, and a car gets in the way. And by the time the car's gone, so's Orson. And there's beautiful shots. Uh, We hear footsteps and beautiful shots of him running in the shadow. Shadows on the wall, Martins follows. And by the way, this is also probably... um, Guy Hamilton, the assistant director, who, and and so, but they really, it's in a weird way, it ended up being like Jaws Mm -hmm. because Orson kept not showing up. They had to find things to do that they could do without Orson and shoot other stuff. And the one thing is that Guy Hamilton's shoulders weren't as broad. So Carol Reed made him wear the the hanger of the coat inside the coat as he ran around to, to, to bring up the shoulders. And here's the other thing that's crazy. So Guy Hamilton, the assistant director Uh became a director. And directed a whole bunch of Bond movies. Oh wow! Goldfinger. Um, you only live twice. What's his name? Guy Hamilton. Guy Hamilton.
1: Right. Oh my God. The same guy. Yeah. Sorry, I've been studying the Bond stuff because uh, I'm going to face Kanowski in the Schmodown, possibly, uh. possibly if we both win our first round matches. So I've been studying like directors and right. uh, or actors and the character names.
0: Guy Hamilton, I'll be damned. Body double for Orson Welles, assistant director on The Third Man. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Yeah. So we end up in this, ah. in this uh, big square, and there's this kind of kiosk little building in yes. the middle of the square, and Martin's runs out into it and mm-hmm. looks around. No Harry. Looks around again. Harry is gone. No yep. footsteps. Nothing. Walks over to this fountain, splashes some water on his face. Looks around again, and then I love that he splashes the fountain because Harry Lime is alive and Harry Lime is gone. Yeah. And so, as Harry Lime disappears into the shadows of Vienna, Ooh. I believe that we have reached the end of part one of our exploration of Carol Reed's The Third Man. It's a good place to end. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a whole bunch of stuff coming our way. Yes, and I can hear the fans going, "What? No!" Well, yeah. just
1: like uh, Joseph Cotton's character had to wait for Harry Lime, you will have to wait for the Harry Lime yeah. stuff for ne- till
0: next week. Yeah. Plus, John and I are tired.
1: Yeah, we really are. That's no offense. <laughs> it's uh, been a long day. Plus, and if you're an Orson Welles fan, you know this is how he did it with the Shadow and all his radio programs: is he kept <laughs> you excited, he kept you on
0: the edge of your seat and suspense, waiting until next week. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? That's really good. The shadow knows. Um, anyway, <laughs> I might cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> all right, fair enough. Like I said, we're tired. Yep. Um, so um, we would love to hear what you think about uh, The Third Man. You can visit us on our Facebook page. Do a search for Cinephiles, You can subscribe to us on iTunes, on YouTube, on Stitcher. You can also go to our new podcast host, Anchor FM, mm-hmm. and take a look at uh, all of our episodes there. If you want to buy The Third Man or any other movie we've ever done, you can do it at cinéphiles.net and you can support the show by going to patreon.com slash thecinephiles. And if you want to reach me, you can do so on Twitter at SR Morris, at Instagram at SR Morris One. John. Yeah, you can reach me at The Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. And to everyone
1: who's been pushing us to uh, look at classic films again, thank you.
0: Yeah, this we is, appreciate it. We, we're we sorry, and we're going to do more. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is this has always been our bread and butter of the
1: show, exploring these older movies. It's been fun. So coming back to it for because uh, we kind
0: of walked away for a while has been enjoyable as hell. And I think that's it for this week. We will be back next week for part two of The Third Man on the Cinephiles.